0: Good morning. It's my pleasure to welcome you all here on this New Year's morning to the Houghton Wesleyan Church. Please stand and join me in the call to worship, which can be found in your your bulletins. Let your goodness, Lord, appear to us, that we, made in your image, may conform ourselves to it. He reaches from the heavens through the clouds to the earth below. of eternal life. Hallelujah. Please pray with me. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.
1: Happy New Year to you. And before you're seated, take a moment, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. Great to see you as uh, we gather together for worship today on this uh, unusually beautiful New Year's Day morning in western New York. Uh, we give thanks for the beautiful weather. There are a few things that I want to highlight. Uh, you'll notice that with the holidays, our schedule is different, and just notice that the next Sunday, we will again gather for one 10 o'clock service, and then following that, beginning on January 15th, we move back to our regular schedule of three services on Sunday morning. There are also a number of uh, activities that are, some are meeting, some are not, so please uh, take note of that as they're announced in the bulletin. Uh, there are a number of prayer concerns also in the bulletin, and we certainly want to pray for the family of Al Smith. Al died uh, early Friday morning, and I know that they would appreciate our prayers. The arrangements for uh, Al are visitation at the Copler Williams Funeral Home this Thursday, 2 to 4 in the afternoon and 7 to 9 in the evening. That will be on Thursday, and then the funeral service will be here at the church Friday morning at 11 o'clock. And I know that uh, the family appreciates our prayers and support uh, during this uh, time of loss and grief. But we give thanks to God that uh, we know the hope that uh, is ours and ours in Jesus Christ. Uh, There are other prayer concerns listed here as well about things related to us as a body of believers as well as circumstances around the world, and we ask for God's grace in each of them. It is always a great joy. Uh, We've been blessed this year with uh, many children uh, being born into our community of faith, and it's always a great joy as uh, we have the privilege of dedicating our children to God, and the NAPS come to do that this morning. Eli and Linda, you have brought these children whom God has given you to be dedicated to God and to his service. By this act, you signify your own personal faith in Jesus Christ and your desire that they receive the benefits of dedication to God and the prayers of the church and may early learn to know and follow the will of God and thus doing may live and die a Christian attaining in the end of this earthly life to everlasting life in the kingdom of God. But in order that this may be accomplished, it will be your duty as parents to teach your children early the fear of the Lord, and to watch over their education that they may not be led astray by false teachings or doctrines, to direct their mind to the holy scriptures as expressing the will and authority of God for all humanity, and to direct their feet to the sanctuary, to restrain them from evil associates and habits, and as much as possible to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Will you endeavor to do so by the help of the Lord? In Mark's gospel, we read these words. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant, and he said to them, let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. What name have you given your child? Ezra James. Ezra James Knapp. On behalf of your parents and your family and this congregation, I dedicate you to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay. What name have you given your child?
0: Indigo Ray.
1: Indigo Ray, on behalf of your parents, your family, and this congregation. I dedicate you to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. (laughs) We had a practice session with this earlier, and she was not real happy with being held by me, but we're doing okay today, aren't we? Yeah, we're doing all right. Okay, we're done. (laughs) You know, as I, I mentioned, each time we dedicate our children to God, this is, this is a threefold covenant. Uh, God is the, the foundation, and he has affirmed his, his presence in these little ones' lives, loving them, caring for them, nurturing them, seeking them. And Eli and Linda have expressed their desire that, uh, for God's help to do their part in helping their children know Christ and follow Christ all their lives. It's also a responsibility that we have as a congregation. God will present us with all kinds of opportunities to love them, to care for them, to be a witness to them, to be the church for them. And uh, it's a great honor, privilege, and responsibility that is upon us as a congregation. And so I'd like to ask you to stand and to affirm your commitment to these children and to this family. As the Church of Jesus Christ... Will you, with the help of God, do everything possible to help Ezra and Indigo grow in the nurture and grace of Jesus Christ? Will you love them? Will you be a godly witness to them? And will you help them know and accept the grace of God in their lives? If so, answer, we will. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for children. They're such a blessing from you. We thank you especially today for Ezra and Indigo. And we ask that your grace and blessing would be upon them. Help them to know how much you love them. I pray that they would be drawn to you. And that all of their lives would be focused on following you and knowing you and serving you in every way. Heavenly Father, we pray that for your protective hand upon them. Watch over them. And fill their hearts with the love for you. And a love for others. And pray for Eli and Linda's parents. This great responsibility that you've given to them. And this great privilege. And we ask, Father, that you would pour out your blessing upon them. Give them wisdom and patience and grace and strength. And all that they need. To be the parents that you've called them to be. And to fulfill this great privilege of parenting their children. And Father, we ask you to help us as a congregation to be mindful of our witness to these little ones, to be mindful of the way in which we, we speak and our attitudes and our actions, that we would be the kind of examples of Christ that you can use to mold them and shape them into your children that you desire them to be. Father, thank you for your blessings upon them and for your grace in their lives, and we dedicate them to you, and we pray this through Christ. Amen. Thank you. May we see Here
2: you
3: go. Today's Old Testament reading is from Psalm 8 for the director of music according to Giddeth, a psalm of David. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what are mere mortals that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands and put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the bird, birds of the sky and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth.
1: I invite you to join me in the prayer of confession and pardon that is printed in your bulletin. It's a prayer that uh, has been adapted from one that uh, Peter Marshall, who was the first chaplain of the Senate, uh, used on New Year's Day with his congregations. And it's a powerful prayer for us to pray together. Let us pray together. Lord, we confess before you that we have had longings and nudges from you which we did not translate into action. We have made decisions without consulting you, then have blamed you when things went wrong. We have said that we trusted you, yet have not turned our affairs over to you. We have been greedy for present delights and pleasures, unwilling to wait for those joys which time and discipline alone can give. We have often sought the easy way, have consistently drawn back from the road that is hard. We've been fond of giving ourselves to dreams which we are going to do sometime, yet have been so slow in getting started. Forgive us for all the intentions that were born and somehow never lived. Now we claim your promise to change us. Do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Lead us into a new tomorrow with a new spirit. Cleanse our hearts. Create within us new attitudes and new ideas as only you can create them. Amen.
0: Please stand and join me as we continue in worship together. invite the ushers forward to receive our morning tithes and offerings, and children may be dismissed um, ages 2 through 5 for Children's Church. Please remain standing for the doxology.
2: celebration, for freedom that is ours, and I notice you in children's games, in those who watch them from the shade, every drop of sun. Under heaven, finally falls asleep. Wrapped in blankets, white, all creation shivers underneath, and still I notice you when branches crack. you
1: It's time of praying together, and as we do so, it's been our practice for quite some time. If you'd like to use the altar as your place of prayer, I invite you to come and do so. Father, we thank you that you are present with us and active in this world in every season. There is not a day, not a moment, not a millisecond of time in which you are not present, active at work, bringing about more than any of us could dream or imagine. We thank you for the year that has just passed. For we know that you have been with us in the difficult times and in the easy times. You've been with us in those moments of exceeding great joy. And you've been with us in the moments of agony and tears and pain. You have been our strength and our help. You've been our rock and our redeemer. And all that we have faced, the ups and the downs, the things that we call good, the things that we call bad, you've been present in every one of them. Father, we come today, we offer this prayer today We bow before you today because we know that you have been with us every moment. And now as we embark on this new year, with all of its possibilities that lie before us, we declare again how much we need you in every moment, in every circumstance, in every season. We pray, Father, that you will give us grace to seek you and to follow you in each of our moments. We pray, Father, for your grace upon us as we move forward into new places and new things. Lord, we always seem to... To wrestle and vacillate between the security of the old and the excitement of the new. Father, as we move forward into unknown times and days, we pray that we'll do so with confidence and anticipation because we know you go before us and you go with us. We're going to face circumstances in this year ahead that will be wonderful and positive and circumstances that will be difficult and painful. Give us strength for each of them and more than anything else, help us to trust you in every moment that comes. Help us to surrender each moment to you and help us to know in new ways your faithfulness. Father, we pray for those among us who are are dealing with difficult circumstances in life even today. We pray for those who are suffering from the frailties and infirmities of these bodies in which we live. We pray for those who are facing surgery and for those who are recovering from surgery, those who are dealing with ongoing long-term difficulties. And we pray that you will bring healing and comfort, bring strength and encouragement, and bring your Holy Spirit to bear on each person. We pray for those who are grieving, and we think especially of Al Smith's family. Even as we celebrate his heavenly homecoming, we ask that you would give comfort and strength and encouragement to those who feel the loss of his death most deeply. Father, As we contemplate your church and and your people around the world, we pray that 2012 will be a year of miraculous spiritual growth and a year of miraculous power of your spirit evident in your church throughout the world. We pray for the witness of your people, the witness of love and compassion, of truth and mercy, humility and service, that it will permeate every corner of the world and that more people than ever will know the joy of life with you. Father, we know that you love us and that you always hear us. Give us faith to trust your answers, whatever they may be, as right and good and best because we know that you love us more than we will ever love ourselves. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the one who gives us the model for prayer And the glory forever.
3: Amen. Please stand for the reading of the Gospel as we receive the words of our Lord. This is uh, from Mark 10, um, 35 to 52. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Then they came to Jericho, as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, um, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. The word of our Lord.
1: Father, we pray that you will indeed speak to us. Let your word move deep into our souls as we continue in worship. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Did you make any resolutions for 2012? I read recently that about 50% of Americans do so. And out of that 50%, about 8% are always successful. 19%, maybe every other year, do most of their resolutions. 49% hardly ever do their resolutions, get them right. And twenty-four percent just fail outright. Don't even probably get past today. Now it may be why one guy decided that the only resolu- he may only make resolutions that he was sure he could keep. So he resolved to gain weight, <laughs> to stop exercising, to read less and watch more television. He resolved to procrastinate more, to give stop giving time and money to charities to not date any more movie stars and to never make any New Year's resolutions again. I think those are resolutions that most of Americans could get behind. Uh, I think we could, we could do that. You know, January 1st is an arbitrary day. You know, you wake up this morning, it's, it's just a day like any other day. But there's something about this day that gives us a feeling of, of starting new, starting over, having an opportunity to see things in a new light. And even though it doesn't erase the past, the feeling of starting over can be a wonderful thing. We ought to take advantage of opportunities that call us to step back and evaluate our lives. Where we've been, where we are, where we hope to be. There's something very biblical about forgetting what's behind And striving for what's ahead. It's this idea of of striving for what's ahead, of, of thinking about where we're going to be, that drew my attention to this passage in the 10th chapter of Mark's Gospel. There's something here that speaks to the yearning in our souls for something new, something different, something great. Jesus and his disciples are walking along the road toward Jerusalem toward his arrest and death. And even though Jesus tells his disciples what's going to happen, I don't think they really grasp the gravity of, of what is awaiting Jesus when they arrive in Jerusalem. But they have some sense that they are on the cusp of something dramatic. Something is going to be different. Something about the kingdom is, seems like it's coming to a head. And so as they're walking along, these two brothers, James and John, somehow get Jesus aside from the rest of the guys, and they say to him, Jesus, we want you to do something for us. Now, I'm always just a little bit leery when somebody says to me, would you do a favor, Do me a favor? Now, I may be very happy to do them a favor. I just don't know what the favor is that they want me to do yet. They might want me to jump off a cliff for them, or or they might want me to cheat on a test for them. They might want me to lie about their whereabouts at the time in question to the authorities. I've been watching too many Perry Mason reruns, I think. You know, you you don't know what people are going to ask you when they say, would you do me a favor? And so I tend to say, well, that depends. What What are you asking me to do? And Jesus says to the brothers, well, what do you want me to do for you? And these two brothers answer, we want you to make us top dogs in your kingdom. Now despite not understanding all the implications of his kingdom, James and John realize that there's something special about Jesus. Jesus. That Jesus has something no one else has. That Jesus can do miracles. He isn't intimidated by the authorities, both religious or secular. Jesus has power that is unequaled, at least in their circles, certainly. And sensing that something is brewing, that a showdown is looming, that Jesus is about to bring what's hidden into the light. That Jesus is about to let things go. They see this window of opportunity and they make their move to get in on the ground floor. Now the question, what they want Jesus to do for them really shouldn't surprise us. I mean, it's a normal, natural question. I I, Honestly, I think it's a question I would ask if I were in their shoes and I had their guts. I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, it's an ambitious question. There's no doubt about that. But doesn't our world operate... On on the backs and the minds and the initiatives of the ambitious? I mean, it's the ambitious people who invent the products that we use every day. It's the ambitious people who run companies and and write books and lead seminars. It's ambitious people who, who are the ones who are persistent and opportunistic that we pay money to see and we stand in line to meet and we cherish getting their autograph and we admire what they've accomplished. It's the ambitious people whose names you'll see printed on the ballot. When you step behind the curtain come November. I mean, let's not be naive. Let's not pretend that the world runs on anything other than ambition. You have to be blind not to, to, to believe that being ambitious and self promoting is the way you get ahead in this life. I mean, it's always been that way. Ambition is not necessarily a dirty word, ambition's sort of just a part of being a successful human being, right? I mean, why do you think the ten disciples are so upset with James and John? Because they're all thinking to themselves, oh, why didn't we think of that first? They're jealous because James and John are asking for something they want. They're indignant because James and John have enough ambition to ask before they do. They're upset because these guys are going to potentially get what they want. Now, we tend to react negatively to James and John, but to most of the world, these are guys who are just doing what you do. They're confident. They're the haves that the have-nots emulate. These are the corporate giants who believe the sky's the limit. These are the guys who run self-esteem seminars. If you can think it, you can do it. This is the attitude you need to survive and to be successful in this world and often in the church. I mean, this is the message that we hear from the evangelical church. This is what success looks like. This is what the, makes the world go round. And the sooner the church begins to accept it, the sooner the church will make an impact on the world for Christ. And we aren't nearly as crass about it as James and John appear to be. We say if we could, if we could just harness the power of God, then we could change the world. But it's rooted in a belief that in order to change the world, you have to have power and all that goes with it. That that's just the way things are. But Jesus reminds them that leaders in the kingdom are not defined by power, but by humility. And surrender and sacrifice and ultimately, Servanthood. They will only be powerful if they acknowledge their weakness, their need for God, their fallibility. Jesus explains that in his kingdom, the places of honor are connected to suffering, not power. If you ask Jesus to make you great in his kingdom, then you're asking him to help you be a servant, a slave. I suspect if any of you made any New Year's resolutions, they probably weren't. In 2012, I want to find as many ways to serve others as I possibly can without any recognition or acknowledgement. I resolve in 2012 to find and perform every unenviable task possible. Whatever other people don't want to do, whatever people think is is way below them, Those are the kinds of things that I want to try to do. I'll be successful in my resolutions if I can find as many of those things as possible. I resolve this year to give up my rights as often as I possibly can. Research tells us that 47% of the resolutions are related to self-improvement and education, 38% related to weight, 34% related to money, 31% related to relationships. I don't really see anything here about finding ways to serve others, about putting ourselves in a position to be taken advantage of. And yet, if we want to have a great year, a truly great year, Jesus tells us that this will mean adopting a spirit of humility, of servanthood, of being a slave to all. Not just a couple of people that it's easy to be a slave to, But all people. Our struggle with greatness is rooted in our misconception about the economy of Christ's kingdom. Being a slave is so unappealing to us that we've convinced ourselves that surely we misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. Something's been lost in the translation. There's a cultural quirk that we're missing. You can't really take Jesus literally about things like this. But we're wrong. And we can find all kinds of loopholes and clarifications that lessen Jesus' demands. But when we do that, we miss Jesus. And to our culture, societal and ecclesiastical, enamored with power and recognition, with wealth and status, I don't know how Jesus could say it any more clearly. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's the way of Christ's kingdom because it's the way of Christ. Now you'll notice that Jesus asks the question, what do you want me to do for you? Not once, but twice in Mark chapter 10. It seems strange that Jesus would ask a blind man, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, it's one of those questions that you can almost hear the response being, duh, really? Seriously? I, what do you want me to, What do I want you to do for me? I want to see. Have you ever noticed that in the Gospels, people who are new to Jesus... Tend to be more interested in healing than in power. Because when your life revolves around a pressing need, the need is paramount. Bartimaeus could have asked for power and he could have asked for position, but he's so cognizant of his need that nothing else really matters. And it's the people who recognize their need for Jesus, who have no reason to think that they deserve anything from Jesus. Those are the people who are healed and transformed and made new by Jesus. As we're reading that passage again this morning, I was struck by what it must have felt like once when Bartimaeus goes from being blind to being able to see. As he stumbles over to Jesus, has no idea what Jesus looks like, has no idea any, what Jesus is wearing has no idea about his surroundings. He can't see any of it. And in a moment, it's all clear. Wow. Now you ask, I ask you, which of those two things, having power or being able to see, is going to transform a person's life? Jesus says that Bartimaeus' faith is what makes him well. Seems an odd thing for Jesus to say because I'm pretty sure Jesus is the one who makes him well. But it's so clear through Jesus' words that Jesus heals him in response to his faith. Faith born out of helplessness, not a sense of entitlement. Faith born out of a spirit that declares Jesus is great and I'm nothing rather than Jesus is great and so am I. I think that's James and John's problem. They've gotten that backwards and often it's our problem too. See, faith is directly connected to our recognition of need. Arrogance is a sense of privilege and entitlement, and it eliminates faith because the spirit assumes that we're worthy of what we ask. And if we don't get it, then something is wrong with God because he owes me. Faith assumes that we're not worthy of what we ask, and if we get it, it's only because God is merciful. Arrogance and entitlement assume that the kingdom of God is about power and status and recognition, Faith assumes that the kingdom of God is about humility and surrender and transformation. Bartimaeus knows he has nothing, that he is nothing. He comes in faith, not arrogance. He's not asking to be powerful. He's asking to see. In the span of just a, a few hours, maybe less, Jesus asks the same question of two different people. But the implications of the question are radically different. James and John ask because they believe that they are important and they want power. And Bartimaeus asks because he believes that Jesus is important. And he wants to be healed. He wants to be different. He wants to be made new. It it intrigues me that in neither situation does Jesus assume that he knows what the people want from him. I think it's important for, him, for them to ask him what they want. It's important for them to verbalize what they want Jesus to do because what they want from Jesus to say it exposes the driving passion of who they are. What they want from Jesus brings this, their inner thoughts to life. And it does ours as well. And it leads us to ask ourselves some pertinent questions. Are we looking for Jesus to give us power and position or healing and transformation? Is our desire for Jesus in our lives in the coming year about being successful or about being faithful? Is our goal being recognized or being a servant? Is our desire for God in 2012 more connected with his agenda or ours? Are our dreams about how God can use us? Or are our dreams about how we can use God? Are our thoughts for this coming year about aligning our hearts with God? Or convincing God to align his heart with ours? Are we asking God for 2012 to be great according to our way of thinking? Or his, in our time or his, in our way or his? Are we ready for God to soften our hearts? Are we ready for God to make us servants, even when people treat us like servants? What are we anticipating from God? in 2012 each day of this new year has all kinds of opportunities for us every day the decision will come before us is our life going to be defined by the economy and the thinking of this world with the economy and thinking of Christ's kingdom What do we want Jesus to do for us in 2012? Please pray with me. I suspect that the call to be a servant is a great challenge for every one of us. call to be a slave to all It's monumental for us. This morning, are we ready to ask God to do this in us in this coming year? Heavenly Father, in some ways, it's a hard word. And yet yet it's a calling that leads us to the fulfillment of the deepest yearnings of our souls and our being. So open our eyes. Help us to want this year what you want. That we might be healed and made new and transformed and discover true greatness in your kingdom. We pray this, Father, through Christ Jesus. Amen. I want to encourage you sometime today to to take five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever it takes, and to sit down and to write down what do I answer the question, what do I want Jesus to do for me in 2012? to take a moment today. If you put it off, it won't happen. Do it today. Take a moment. Write it down. What do I want Jesus to do for me in my life in 2012? And make that a daily prayer that God would answer that, that he would do it in his way, in his time, Together, we discover what it truly means to be great in the kingdom of God. I want to invite you to stand as we sing together the closing hymn, number 312, Jesus, thy boundless love to me.